Thank you for listening to this podcast message from Stowe Presbyterian Church. This message was given by Pastor Bob Stanley. All right. Well, it's Pentecost Sunday, so we're going to talk about something that's not as near and dear to the, the Presbyterian Church as perhaps it ought to be, and that's the Holy Spirit. You see, for Presbyterians, the Holy Spirit is kind of like, uh, he's kind of like your Uncle Earl. You know he exists. You've heard stories about him. Apparently he's big in some circles in the broader parts of your family, and people may even tell you how funny or how amazing or what neat stuff Earl does, but you can't quite remember for certain if you've met him. Now, Presbyterians were often called the frozen chosen, and we're accused often in church circles of the Holy Spirit being uh, a little bit more absent. So here we're going to make Pentecost a little more dramatic. We have a video clip we're going to put up here. So we need to make sure we have that, the audio up for that and everything because we're going to watch a video clip. And it's from a very realistic movie. It's a very, very poignant realistic movie called Mission Impossible 3. So hopefully you've seen it. But you ever notice in those spy movies that you always had the cool guy, like it's Tom Cruise or whomever in these movies that are, you know, Jason Bourne, whoever it is. You know, it's a Tom Cruise or Matt Damon kind of dude. And, but, and this is for the rest of us, and you, those of you that know me know how much I appreciate that. There's always got to be a nerd on the other end of the radio or the phone or whatever guiding that super cool guy or gal to help them get it done. Have you ever noticed that? So for myself, for the nerds in the world, we appreciate this, that we do have our place. And if you've seen the, the modern Mission Impossible movies, there's a guy played by Simon Pegg named Benji, and Ethan's guy, uh, Tom Cruise's character, the main guy in the, in the Mission Impossible franchise, couldn't get anything done without Benji. Benji gets somewhere he needs to go. So let's, uh, let's watch this here, and you'll know what I'm, you, you'll understand what I'm saying. Maybe. Whoops. Guys, I double-clicked it there. Can you start that for me? Okay, if you've, if, you've, if you've not seen that movie, so Ethan, he's kind of like not even supposed to be doing what he's doing, and so he's helping him off the books, and so the lady comes up with his mail, and he's like, hey, how you doing today? And he's like, no, 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 I need your help. I need to know where to go. Have you ever felt like that? So if you don't see that, so he's in Shanghai. He's trying to find, they've kidnapped his fiance. It's this whole dramatic thing, 
and he's running along, and he's like, no, no, turn left, turn right, no, go, 1,000 yards, turn, do this or that. And if you ever feel like that, you're in a strange place, you don't know what to do, have you ever felt like that? You're somewhere, you don't know, you're on vacation, you're in a new town, and you don't know where to go. And you run into somebody, and they, they've, they know exactly, they know that place like the back of their hand, and they'll tell you, okay, go down the street, there's a fire hydrant with rust on the left side of it, turn left there, you're going to see a guy in a yellow poncho named Hank fishing on the creek. Hank's going to tell you to turn left and go over this bridge, you're going to see a hubcap prop. Have you ever had one of those kind of things? Those are great, aren't they? But see, life sometimes feels like that. It feels like we have no idea where to go or what to do. And what we're going to see today is there is power and there is guidance in God's spirit. This Pentecost Sunday, we're going to talk about this. And perhaps if you're like me, you've read passages like Zechariah 4, 6, where it says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, where God makes these promises all the way back in the Old Testament through to our world today. And we often wonder, what does that really look like? What does it look like? I don't know what God wants me to do. Have you ever said that? Or I'm not sure what direction to go. I have these choices. They both seem pretty good. They're good choices. How do I know which one is the good? Because I don't want to, as we talked about, sacrifice the good for what God has that is great. How do I know what God's calling me to do? A lot of times, I think, for those of us in the regular world, we may not be running like a maniac to disarm a bomb or do something like that, but our lives still can feel kind of like mission impossible. So we're going to talk today about that vital role of the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, that the Holy Spirit plays in the life of the believer. And Paul wants the Roman church and us to understand how vital the Spirit is to life, growth, in guidance. So let's read Romans 8 verses 26 and 27 and we're really going to focus today because one of the most important famous verses in scripture Romans 8:28 is coming up. But God has put these two verses here for us this day. And we're not going to just skip ahead because we need to understand what it means to be empowered, led and fed by the Holy Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What does it mean for us to live in the Spirit. What does it mean? Now, for us around Cuyahoga Falls and Akron, we've had some famous people uh, in what we would maybe call the hyper-Pentecostal movement. We're not here to poo-poo people that have a, a little more of a Pentecostal worship. We're not going to get into that. Uh, I have a good friend that preached on this passage, and he used a great scene from the movie The Apostle. I was going to do that, and I thought, darn it, he already did that. I'm going to do something different. So we, we looked at that today, but when people think about the Holy Spirit, sometimes we think of churches where people have things that make a lot of noise. It seems like everyone's been issued a symbol or something. Have you ever been to a church like that? Or, you know, people are getting pretty wound up. They're saying things. Nobody knows what's going on. It seems like people are doing finishing moves on other people in the pews like Mortal Kombat or something. And it's just kind of crazy. If you've ever seen that, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sure you can figure that out. If you have a friend that goes to maybe a more charismatic or Pentecostal church. I'm not here. We're not here to, to make fun of that today. But the reality is 
Presbyterians, we sometimes struggle with this idea. What does it mean for us to be in the Spirit? But I don't believe God's Word is calling us just to some kind of emotional reaction. The Holy Spirit is something, being the third person of the Trinity, being God that dwells in us as believers. And as we read, it guides us, it strengthens us, it directs every part and portion of our lives, it brings us closer to God's will because the Holy Spirit is God. So we're going to talk today not about being the frozen chosen on one side, but we don't want to be absolutely foaming at the mouth on the other side either. God's word is about balance and about structure. And so we're going to look here what it means. We don't want to be on one side of the equation, but we don't want to go all the way the other way. And if you're saying, well, you know, no one's going to forget about the Holy Spirit. Well, it actually happened in God's word to the church in Ephesus. So if you look here at the church in Ephesus, look at the passage here we have from the book of Acts, chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. Well-intended, good-hearted Christians can sometimes forget how the Holy Spirit is active in the life of believers. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's not at work, but for those of us in the Reformed tradition, we focus a lot on the mind. We focus a lot on the intellect. And the book of Romans is certainly a doctrinal, structured book And the Holy Spirit is a part of us, as we're going to see, understanding God's Word. We want to have clarity in our doctrine. We want to understand God's Word in the context of what's going on in our lives. And Romans 8 is perhaps one of the most important chapters in the entire Scripture. It really is. It's a very important part of the Bible. Romans 8, 28, that we're waiting for, that well-known passage where God works all things out for the... Yeah, we're going to get to that. But before that, God has placed, Paul has put in here by the Holy Spirit's guidance, these two verses. The Holy Spirit is integral to us understanding God's plans. So in Acts 19, the church at Ephesus, so uh, Paul has been at Corinth, and Paul passes through in the inland country and comes to Ephesus. He found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. They weren't even aware that that was going on. And so for us as Christians, we need to understand the role the Holy Spirit plays in our lives, the significance of that. So we're going to look today, and God's Word teaches us about the Spirit, how the Spirit operates, how we should understand the Bible both personally and doctrinally. And Romans, we've seen that the Spirit changes us, the Spirit draws us in. God is at work in us. We learned last week about how God calls us into an intimate relationship, that he's our daddy, that he knows us, that he has that closeness with us in relationship. And it's important for us to understand that the Spirit wants to call us into a deeper relationship with God. The Holy Spirit is involved in our lives deeply and at work. And the Holy Spirit is changing us, convicting us, calling us to go out and to serve. The Holy Spirit is guiding the early church and guiding us as the church today. It's clear if you read God's Word, the Holy Spirit is the principal actor in transforming our lives as the church of Jesus Christ, transforming us to follow Christ. Whether we recognize it or not, whether we're not even aware it's going on, the Holy Spirit is the principal part of our transformation our sanctification, where we're becoming more holy like we were singing about this morning. Set apart is what that word means. To be more the people God called us to be. To know more of God's plan for our lives. To follow where he leads us. And sometimes it can feel like we're running 100 miles an hour and not sure where we're going. Not sure what God 
is doing as we're following Christ, the Spirit is there to encourage us. And for us as Presbyterians, I've got some news. John Calvin, who is the father of our Reformed tradition, he is often called the theologian of the Holy Spirit. He wrote more about the Holy Spirit than anything else. But somehow, Presbyterians, sometimes we don't catch on to this. So why is the Holy Spirit so important? Why is the Holy Spirit so involved here in Romans 8 if it's such a pivotal chapter in Scripture? Because the rest of Romans has led us to this point. We know that we can't get it done. We're broken by our sin. We're all messed up. We can't get it right. We've covered that for chapters in the book of Romans. We get that. So we need God to guide us, to strengthen us. And the main way God does that is through that relationship that God's Spirit has in our souls, guiding us, transforming us to make us more like Him. The Spirit is there to lead us even when our sin gets a hold of us, when we feel broken by it, held down by it, shackled by it, as we've talked about over the past several weeks. Now, right now, even as I say that, sin gets us, sin gets us stuck. We're weighed down. We're bogged down in our sin. Even as I say that to you today, I bet you something pops into your heart and into your mind. That's God's Spirit, if you're a believer, convicting us of our sin. If you're not a believer, God's Spirit's still alive and at work in the world and draws us in that we know Christ. God chooses us, grabs onto us and says, here, that's the Holy Spirit calling us in to become God's people. Even when I say that, if you're like me, you think, oh, and there's something that flashes in your heart, in your mind. Something that's weighing you down. The world around us, the world inside of us, it's drenched in sin. It's the muck that weighs down our spirits. Now, this week, as they had the 75th anniversary for D-Day, I was watching something about that. It's fascinating. Have you guys, do you guys see any of that this week, any of the stuff they had on? Isn't that incredible to think about that? What that meant for those who went and fought? And if you know anything about the Battle of D-Day, it was delayed by really bad weather. And as the troops made the trek, as they bore their landing craft and they went inland, to the beaches of Normandy, it was so difficult. They knew what was to come ahead, but the, the weather itself, it was so stormy, they had trouble just getting in to the beaches at Normandy when they were going to storm to take back that part of Europe from the Nazis. They, they went in and they knew the difficulty and they struggled against the horribleness all around them. It was a battle. It was, it was powerful. And this is a picture I actually saw this week in the news. So these are some of the first soldiers who were going to, you see their landing craft back there that they're going to board that take them into the beaches at Normandy as they were going to invade northern France. And so they're receiving the benediction. They've just had a service and received the Lord's Supper. That's actually an army chaplain there with them. And they're about to go on June 6, 1944. And of course, as you know, many of them didn't make it back. Think about what that would have been like for those young men right there. Think about that. They're getting ready to fight what seemed to be an impossible battle. They didn't know how they were going to make it. They didn't know how they could even get there, let alone what it was going to look like when they did get there and what they would face. And sometimes I think our lives are like that. And maybe, you know, it's not a battle against good and evil that we face physically, but spiritually, relationally. We face that in our world 
and in our lives all the time. Spiritual warfare, the war within us, the war all around us, we, we understand that, don't we? There are times when we struggle and it seems like the struggle against sin and death and darkness is so painful. We feel stuck in the muck of our souls. We do. All of us. All of us feel like that. We know there's more battle yet to come. How much more can we take? And we want to know that hope. We want to get our lives on track. We want to know that we're going to make it through, that it's going to get better, that we don't have to always feel strain and loss and pain and hurt. We want to get, we want to skip right over to that one verse that you see on bumper stickers and bookmarks that says, God works it all out for good. And he does. And we're going to talk about that coming up. But these verses are here right before that truth for a reason. Because the Holy Spirit is here to help us, to guide us, to strengthen us, as we're going to see. That may seem simplistic, but you have to understand, in God's Word, things are not written in English. They come in the New Testament and Koine Greek in the Old Testament in what we call Masoretic Hebrew. And it's important for us to understand that. I was uh, talking to my friend Vince Latz, who's in seminary still, and we were talking about the wonder of biblical languages. I stink at biblical languages. I've studied them. I've studied them. I continue to study them. But I respect that God chose to put his word in the languages he did because the specific doctrinal depth of the wording used in Greek far exceeds what it means in English. You guys know about the word love in, in Greek, how there's different kinds of love, and I'm not going to go through all those now, but you understand we have different words for love. That's one of the problems in our world. People like to say, love is love. What does that mean? All you need is love. Well, the Bible actually has multiple words for love. The same thing here for the word help. The word help. The Holy Spirit is a helper. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit that we celebrate today that comes at Pentecost when it falls upon the church and Peter preaches a powerful sermon and all kinds of things. But today we're going to look at the concept. The Holy Spirit, paracletes, paraclete, advocate, helper, the one who comes alongside. In John 14, Jesus promises what we celebrate at Pentecost. That word helper, advocate, counselor, guide. God promises his spirit will come. I will ask the Father, he says, he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then later, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in Jesus' name, he says, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. So the, the Holy Spirit, the helper, will be there, will guide, will strengthen, and will remind and draw to them what Christ, what the second part of the Trinity, God's Son, had taught. So we see here that the Holy Spirit has this important rule this important role, so that word their helper, paraclete, is very important. But the next word is almost more important, or at least equally important, all right? 
Sulalanatomabai. Sulalanatomabai is that word. See that? I'm not good at the Greek. That word there, what does that word mean that I have up there? Why do I even have that word up there? That word means that the Holy Spirit will not just help us, but it's the idea of being helped together. Working together. Working as one. So that word in Greek, it's not only that the Spirit will come and advocate, but you're going to work as a team. Have you ever seen people work as a team? Maybe it's like pairs figure skating or something, and you're like, how do they do that? Or people in rowing. My wife, uh, you know, rowed competitively in crew. Do you guys know crew when they row on the river? You ever seen that? And when the rows, when the oars are working perfectly, isn't it incredible? But there's the one guy, the coxswain, that has to call out and keep them in cadence, because if they get off just once, what happens? They lose. They don't make it. This idea of God's Spirit not only helping us, advocating, guiding, being with us, teaching us, guiding us into all that truth, but yet we are working together how God helps us, how God works with us. You guys know the phrase that God helps whom those who help themselves is not in the Bible, right? It's not in the Bible. Romans 8.26, before we get to how God works all things out to the good, Look what Romans 8.26 wants us to see. The Spirit helps us, not when we've earned it, not when we've gotten our straight A's, not when we have perfect attendance at church, which we appreciate. It's great. The Spirit helps us when? In our weakness. Do you think those guys waiting to go to Normandy on D-Day felt weak, felt afraid? I'm sure they did. And that's okay. When you face the most impossible challenges in your life of sin and death and darkness, when you face the unknowns, when you don't know what's around the next corner, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Have you ever not known what to say to someone else, to God? I have. I know what it's like to not be able to bear a burden. So those of you that were at the attic sale, the beloved SBC attic sale, my wife and I had a cast iron stove insert that we brought over here. And we thought we were really tough because it weighed like a ton. And we picked it up and put it in our van. Somehow our van held it and we made it over here. That's probably why our van died shortly after. And we brought it in, and then some of you guys had to take it out because nobody wanted to buy it and take it home. It was heavy. And my wife and I felt like, raw, look at that. We do CrossFit. We're invincible. Raw. Until we had to move my mom's high-tech Swedish adjustable bed with the big base with all the hydraulics that looks like the parts from a backhoe that, like, you know, folds the bed. You guys know what I mean? So we had to move that to our house. And I'm glad they're here today because uh, Mandy and I could not get this bed up our stairs for anything. And we had just done this fireplace before that. We thought we were invincible. And see, Christians, sometimes we feel like we're invincible too. Like, oh, well, there's you know, strength in numbers. We can get it done. But church, Christians, we need the Holy Spirit too. The two of us 
after about our third failed attempt to carry this thing out of the truck and carry it into our house. We called, and this is our example for the Holy Spirit in this story, we called, unfortunately, Chris Barrett, who lives around the corner from us. God bless Chris, he came in, and he picked that thing up and carried it with us. You know why? Because we like to read verses in the Bible like, where two or more are gathered, they can do anything. <laughs> that is crap! Actually, that's true, but you know why it's true? You know what those two believers have in common? The Holy Spirit. When you and a friend, when a church committee, whoever it is, thinks we know exactly what God wants, but we don't pray and wait and ask and let the Spirit guide us and help us, when you're hurting, when you don't even know what to say, God says that's okay, the Spirit knows when you can't even utter a word. And it's okay. The Spirit will be there and strengthen you. Even when you're like us, we were in a Seinfeld skit trying to move that bed, you know, pivot. You ever see the Seinfeld where they can't get the couch in? Friends? I said Seinfeld, didn't I? I'm sorry. Friends. It says friends here, I promise. Dang it. Pivot. The whole episode, they can't get this couch in, right? I felt like that with this bed. How can we ever get it in? Do you ever feel like that with something in your life that just won't fit? You just can't make it work. Maybe you're struggling and thinking about something right now, and God says, don't worry. I'm with you. That battle with sin, that battle with whatever it is in your life may make you feel weak, may make you feel like you're never going to get it done, like you're just stuck. You're trying to get through a door in your life and you have all this baggage, you have this thing you're carrying that burdens you, that weighs you down, you just can't get it done. You can't get it done. Look at Galatians 5 says here, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. And we know what the flesh is. We talked about that in Romans just a couple weeks ago. That sinful stuff that's not good for us. These desires are opposed to each other. What God desires, what the Spirit desires, because the Spirit is God. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. God's Spirit says, hey, I know you're not perfect, but I'm going to show you, hey, don't do that because it's bad. Not as it's just bad, it's going to hurt you, it's going to hurt other people. And the Spirit says, I'm going to help you when you have that burden you can't carry. When you cannot get it done. We need the Spirit. I can have 15 ways to defeat my sin in a book. I can uh, have a journal where I write down what a terrible sinner I am and have life steps and I can come up with plans and strategies and form good habits. And those are all good things. In fact, I should take my battle to sin. But if I don't acknowledge, if I don't stop and acknowledge that I need the Spirit's power to guide me, to strengthen me, if I don't cry out to God and say, Lord, let the Spirit be in the midst of all this. God, I need your Spirit to guide me. If I don't do that, I'm not yielding and recognizing that I need God. I need God in my life. I need God to give me that strength that I don't have when I face those impossible odds. I learn that more and more in my Christian life. I'm learning that more. Maybe if you have health concerns and, or you've just retired or you're getting into a new job or your kids are getting older, maybe they're in that terrible two stage or they're in the middle of elementary maybe they're becoming teenagers and suddenly 
they have headphones on all the time and you're not sure why? Whatever phase you're entering into in life, you learn more and more as you go that you need God to be with you, to guide you, and to strengthen you. When I was young, I thought I could put my head down and crash through anything. I did. I had the energy, I had the ego, I had the drive, and I had the hair. Those were glorious days. But really, those things aren't bad things, but they're not enough, are they? They aren't. Life teaches us. God uses even the hard things to teach us that what I need is more of God and less of me. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. I could have saved myself so much hardship, so much frustration, hurt that I had, hurt that other people had because of what I said or did or didn't say or didn't do. If I would have stopped and sought the Spirit, if I would have prayed and listened and waited, And my weakness, instead of getting cocky or arrogant or saying, I know what to do, if I would say, God, I need you. Sometimes we don't even know what words to put to it, but I'll give you two words you can pray. God, help. If you're not sure what to pray in life, if you're not sure... If you think you have an amazing idea and someone else close to you, a friend, a spouse, somebody says, I don't know. You can always just pray, God, help. Because he's that advocate. If you experience something painful in your life, maybe God's even using that painful thing to draw you back in and say, no, no, don't go over there. I'm opposed to that sin. You don't even see over here what's going to happen, but I do. So stop. The farther I walk along with Christ, the more I learn that he's given me his spirit and I have to stop sometimes and say, God, help. Guide me. Be with me. Jesus, help me. God, let your spirit have more of me. Sometimes that's the only thing you can say is, God, help. Sometimes you can't even say that, but God says, don't worry. The spirit already knows. Maybe that's where you are right now. Maybe You're facing something that you feel is impossible in your life. And you're saying, God, help me. I don't even know what to do. And then you say, well, now what? Remember that God not only says the Spirit will help us, but as a counselor, as one that directs us, the Spirit will also guide us. The Spirit will guide us into all truth. And I want you to know something. God's Spirit, beware of someone in Christ who says that God's Spirit, oh, well, you know, it's not really in the Bible, but... No. God's Spirit says it opposes sin, and God says His Word is complete. It has all that we need to know. So God's Spirit will never tell us something that God's Word does not confirm to us. God's Spirit will guide us into knowing more of God's will, and God's will is always consistent with God's Holy Word, with the Scriptures. There are Christians today promoting things. I saw a guy this week who's a guy in the church who's decided that God has uh, told him that, that marijuana is great. Marijuana is great. Friends, I've dealt with people with addiction for years, and if I'm going to tell you this is how I feel as someone who's been in, I did street ministry for years before I was a senior pastor. 
I never met anybody, it happens, but very seldom, who didn't start with marijuana before I found them on heroin. I'm sick and tired of Christians buckling on this stuff to our culture. I'm not allowed to have trans fats because they're bad for me, but if you want to hallucinate on psychedelic mushrooms in some places, that's good for you? Come on. A little common sense, please. God's Spirit will guide us. When people all around you say, this is a great idea, God's Spirit will say, no way. No way. No one's ever gotten wild at a party, you know, with bran flakes or something. I mean, come on, you know. No one's ever said, hey, come over, I've got trail mix. We're going to rip it up. God's Word tells us what's good, and we can do it or not. But God's Spirit's going to tell us, stop. Hold on. Come back this way. Turn left. Turn right. Wait. Don't do it. Don't do it. You need that guidance. You need it in your life, and so do I. We need it. The other day, my wife, God bless her, she's painting our kitchen. She's painting our cabinets. She's a brave woman. Some of our students have helped. God bless them. They were great helps. And as I'm watching them do all this, they, she said, I, I need this one item. And I forgot, I, I need more of this. It's at the store. So I went to the big box store to look for it. So I found the employee in the uh, colored apron. I said, I'm not going to tell you which store. Home Depot. And um, <laughs> I love Home Depot. And I went just right around the corner from my house. I said, hey, uh, where do you have this particular painting item? And the guy said, it's that way. Have you ever been in Home Depot? That way can take you a lot of places. So I called up my wife, and I said, where's this item? And she said, turn down the aisle. Look there. You're going to see these blue-handled paintbrushes like the one I love. When you see that, keep going. Three more things. Stop, stop, turn left. It's right in front of you. And it was. Now, men, this is a reminder that we always call our wives because they know what we forgot. <laughs> but that's how the Holy Spirit is. The more you get to know the Holy Spirit, the more you have that relationship with God, the more you learn to listen, to trust, and to call out and say, hey, I need your guidance. I need your direction. I know what you said to me before. What you showed me in your word is going to be consistent with where you take me in the future, even when I don't know what is yet to come, even when the battle seems impossible, when you feel you have no one else to guide you or be with you, when you feel like you're all alone, God's Spirit is always with you, guiding you, no matter what you will face. I love what Dr. John Piper says, the Holy Spirit will help us in the most frightening settings. How much more may we depend on Him in the less threatening situations. And friends, that's what God wants us to learn this day, that we need to follow Him. Not just when it's hard, but in our everyday lives, in the little things. The things that seem mundane, but often they all pile on and weigh us down. So today, if you're coming to this table and you're hurting and you're tired, this table is for you. This is not the table of Stowe Presbyterian Church or the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. 
This is the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it, it's open and available to all who profess faith in Him alone for their salvation. But yet, as sinners, we know we need God's grace. We know we need God's guidance and God's strength in our lives. And we don't want to come to this table in a manner that's unworthy. So would you please join me in the prayer of confession up on the screen. Lord Jesus, it is so easy for us to see others' sins as more ugly, more numerous than our own, especially when their sins are different than ours, or when their sins are public and ours are private. It is so easy for us to rationalize our detachment from those around us who need our help, who need our time, who need our friendship. Forgive us, change us, draw us in, and rekindle our faith. Nourish our souls and transform our lives. By the power of the Holy Spirit, enable us to forgive others as you have forgiven us, and to love others as you have loved us. Father, hear our confession as we give you our heart, our lives, and our whole selves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On the night Christ Jesus was to be portrayed, he took bread and he broke and he said, Take and eat, this is my body given for you. And he took and he poured from the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood. Take and drink of it, all of you. Friends, for as often as we eat and drink of this cup, we celebrate our Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again. Today at the Lord's table, we're going to be using intinction. That means that we're going to have uh, folks come up. So what you can do, I'm going to get this right this time. You guys can come up these aisles and go out around the outside. The deacons are nodding their heads at me. I got it right. Look at that. So you can come up through these aisles on the sides, and we'll be here to serve you on either side, and you can go back down. If you're one of those folks that grabbing from a loaf of bread or dipping in a cup freaks you out, that's okay. We've got bread, and we've got a cup right here for you as well available, and your cups can go in here. So I'd like to invite those forward who are helping to serve this morning, and then you can come up as you feel led to receive the bread and the cup this day. As they're coming up, I'm going to pray, God, take these elements that we have set aside that are ordinary things and transform them by your ordinances and by your spirit that they would fill us with your grace, that they would guide us, that they would strengthen us, that they would nourish our souls in Jesus' name. Amen.